0: Welcome to our second Film Inquiry uh, Roundtable. My name is Christy Strauss. I'm Writer and Operations Manager for Film Inquiry. I'm currently in Maine, the state of Maine. And today we're talking about standout characters. And that could be good or bad, those we love, hate, um, you know, ones that leave an impression, and that could be TV or film. And before we start, I'd like to just go around and share who is with us today from across the pond um which is amazing so i'll start with uh with maria and then you guys can just go ahead after that
1: hi guys i'm maria and i've been writing for film inquiry for about a year and a few months and yeah i'm based in london but i am actually from finland originally awesome
2: um so i'll go I, i'm the other one joining from across the pond i think uh, so my name's jim uh, i've written for film inquiry for about a year i think maybe slightly less uh, and then various other places for quite a bit longer than that uh, features and reviews and stuff um i'm currently in edinburgh and i'm originally from dundee slightly north of there so I, I, I lived in england for a little bit but this is where i've been most of the time and where i do most of my film watching and so forth
3: Awesome. I'm Danny Anderson, and I'm in Pennsylvania uh, in the US. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but I teach at a little college, and so you you go where the work is. And so I'm in PA. And um, I think I've been writing for film inquiry for around a year or so. Um, and it's usually, I'm just kind of drawn to things for very quirky reasons at a given time, and I decide to write an essay about it. And so, um,
0: awesome well thank you all for being here it's it's great to uh see some of you that i haven't met before even if it is just through this strange thing (laughs) Um, but yeah and how how's everybody doing right now you know with everything going on
1: pretty good pretty good very bored i'm furloughed from my day job so it's literally a lot of films so (laughs) i'm very well prepared for this chat
0: plus side silver lining well, yeah, a-
2: I would, I, I'm also far from my day job. No one. I'm actually watching less films than I thought I would be, which is probably a bad thing for me to be saying on a film inquiry roundtable. But um, <laughs> I I seem to dip more into TV series. I think like I've been watching Westworld. Re- I've started watching Ozark. Various other things. I'm still getting through quite a bit, of, quite a few films as well. But I don't think it was any more than it was before, which which was quite high, admittedly. But I think just. People might expect me to be getting through more, I think, potentially, but, you know, otherwise, otherwise largely okay. I mean, about as well as you can under the current circumstances, I suppose.
0: Right. Well, that's why I think it's great to do these things too, to get some interaction and have some fun and, you know, get to meet you guys and chat about the things that we obviously very passionate about, you know, And, and TV is part of that. There's a lot of great TV characters, and I just want to say I love Ozark. Awesome. And I am currently binging the rest of the season of Westworld. So I'm also in that same kind of boat. Um, So, yeah, I guess I'll start, you know, one of my favorite heroes and one of my favorite villains exists in the same movie. So that's not always going to be the case, but it's a it's a film that I kind of feel like just fires on all cylinders. Um, It's Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. And I've, Clarice was, you know, Jodie Foster's character was very inspiring to me. And I think she's one of those strong female characters that's just, I mean, she's just amazing. But then on the other end, you know, we have Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, who is also one of my favorite villains. Um, So it's kind of an interesting, their dynamic and their conversations are, you know, really, I think, a big part of what makes that movie just as amazing as it is. It's it. so
3: weird that you mention it. I'm actually reading the book right now. <laughs> it, <has> it <laughs> literally at my desk by your... Uh, um, I'd never read the book before, so, yeah, it's great.
2: It's actually... It, it's a bit... It, it's an, I, I, I fully agree with the, cho- the choice of Hannibal Lecter, but it's quite an interesting choice in that you could argue that, that that one character has given rise to three different performances of it, which are all really pretty good in their own ways, because obviously, like, Anthony Hopkins is the iconic one, but before that, you had... Brian Cox and Michael Mann's Manhunt are paying, uh Hannibal Lecter, and then of course you had uh, Mads Mikkelsen doing it in the TV series as well. <laughs> so you've got three iterations of that character who are all very good. Well, I think Anthony Hopkins is definitely the the most uh, essential one, if that's a phrase that we're going to allow. But yeah, yeah it's an inter- it's a good choice. it's an excellent choice for that. Yeah.
3: I think that Mads is really great, though. I that's one of that's my favorite show. I love I love Hannibal, and uh, and he brought such a like, I don't know, like a, I, I don't know, just sort of a, I don't know how to say it, but he's he's like a human puzzle. His face is so indecipherable, um, and it's such a great performance because. He can simultaneously be like lovable and horrifying at the same moment because of his like ambiguous face, and so um, I really am so thrilled with his all of his performances in that role. I'm really mad that the Clarice series got picked up, got taken away from Brian Fuller, and it uh, got picked up by some CBS thing. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I, I agree, Matt Mickelson is is amazing. And and I, I just kind of like separate them in my mind, but he is just and I'm actually just re-watching that show. So you know, I've got a few that I'm <laughs> that I'm currently <laughs> uh, going into, which obviously that show didn't didn't get to really fulfill what it wanted. Um, but I do think it's a terrific show as well. Um so is there anybody anybody else that wants to jump in with like a character that you know hero villain something like that
1: i think for me um the sort of first character that i really connected with was buffy from buffy the vampire slayer Mm -hmm. it used to be on um because i obviously grew up in finland it used to be on really late at night and i had a tv in my room so i would secretly i'd go to bed and i would secretly watch it in the middle of the night and i'd be a little bit scared but at the same time i'd be really sort of I don't know it felt a really deep connection to his character and it's just someone that has taught me so much about being a woman and being a woman in a world that is very scary place for a woman to be in so i think that's been really influential for me throughout my entire life really yeah
0: um that's a great choice
2: I think that there's that many, that one, of, one of the great things about cinema is that there's a million things you could pick for this. Um, I think one of the ones that I remember first, this is going to sound really stupid, but one of the ones that I first remember remembering, if that <laughs> makes sense, right, that actually kind of like stuck with me after I saw, saw the film was um, probably the original animated Jungle Book, to be honest with you, and Shere Khan. Um, but I think that that that's the first time I can remember a, a villain actually can like staying in my in my head because I did you know my my, my dad worked at, see so he'd come back with these like bootlegs of Disney classics on VHS or something and I'd watch these things on loop but the only one I can really have any real memory of to this day is probably the Jungle Book in particular and then on a villain front, uh, sheer Khan. so I would say that and then that kind of. It's interesting to see how that gets reimagined later, you know, when they did the um, the live action, inverted commas, um, release of it a few years ago. And I think Idris Elba did quite a good job with it. But that original version, that's the first time I can remember sort of like noticing a villain. I think the first time I was utterly terrified by one. And I don't think this is necessarily a good character, but it is terrifying, was the, um, the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Um, mm. I watched that film when I was way too young to be watching it, quite frankly. Um, and I I think I refused to basically like turn the lights out for about several weeks afterwards because I basically just had this image, like, you know, when the, the hand turns into a knife and you like impale somebody on a fridge or something like that, honest to God, absolutely scared out of my mind. So like, not necessarily a great like, character and kind of like roundedness, but in terms of like impact and scare levels, my God. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've always been drawn to, like, I guess the tragic hero sort of uh, trope, um, and probably because I always loved the Wolfman since I was a little kid, the old, black, you know, the Lon Chaney Jr., Larry Talbot, right? And so that, that sort of, like, set the template for me. So when I think of, like, characters that really stuck out for me i am not like a binge watcher by nature it's really hard for me to sit all day and watch a single thing um but i did this with penny dreadful um and really almost all the characters in penny dreadful probably fit this mold but particularly vanessa um eva green's uh, uh vanessa is just such a great character because she's just sort of like kind of doomed because of like uh, her um Upbringing and, and just sort of the tragic events of her youth, um, and yet she sort of tries to do good uh, as much as she can, kind of in in the in that world of. of gothic horror and, uh, and so yeah I, I particularly love that series I have not seen the new one yet the City of Angels one I haven't uh, I don't get Showtime so I have to find another venue to get that but uh, but I really loved Penny Dreadful and the the creature uh, the, the the Frankenstein's creature in that series too is just amazing and I was literally like yelling at the screen in the last season like don't do this to him right I just I was so like uh, like empathetic towards that character
1: yeah, I think what's really interesting, sort of, especially going back to um, Silence of the Lands, is are all good characters are they tied to good performances? Because you've got Hannibal Lecter and you've got three great performances, like Jim said. But sort of the groundwork has already been made and done by um, the writer Thomas Harris. So I think that's quite interesting to think about. Is there any characters that you know they might be good, great characters, but the performance was a bit lacking?
0: I think so and I think also are they the right choice for it because you know no offense to the the second um Hannibal but and you know I mean um I think that she provided um what's her name uh Julianne Moore yes Julianne Moore I think she's an amazing actress she's always amazing um but I don't think she fit that character in the same way as Jodie Foster and it's I mean sometimes you know it might be like bias because you saw her already and you, you love that movie, but I, I honestly just think that she wasn't the right one for that. So I think it, it has a lot to do with the writing. It also has a lot to do with the performances, casting correctly. They just have to kind of all, you know, kind of all yeah,
2: it, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that you're 100% right. I think that there's, there's a certain amount that can be put into the script. Um, but it does, I, I think to elevate it to another level, it needs a good performance as well. Because I mean, I think there's, I think there's plenty of, um, you know, I mean, you can look at literary adaptations and not all of them are, are great, but you know from the source that you've got good characters there, but not, that doesn't mean in every single one that that necessarily comes across on, on film. By the same token though, you can get a very talented performer who takes something which, if you look at the script, is perhaps a little bit thin. Um, but because they're a talented performer, they can they can really get more out of it. I think when you've got those two elements together, that's when you then start to have something which is both good and and memorable as well. Um, and I think and I think really that's probably what you, the the case with um Clarice Starling really, because I think you've got that in Silence of the Lambs. You've got an excellent Jodie Foster performance, and you've got good writing and a good source. But then when you come to um, Hannibal. Like, I think we all know Julianne Moore is very talented. She's done a lot of great work. But that, I mean, I've read both books, and that book, in my opinion, anyway, is, is definitely not as well realised. And I think that then comes through in a, a production and a film itself, which also wasn't. So, unfortunately, in that occasion, she hasn't been able to bring it up there. But I think if you get the two of them together, that's that's when lightning strikes, I suppose, is maybe the way of putting it. Yeah, I have
3: always that question is interesting. I've been talking with a friend of mine about the Star Wars prequels, and like Ewan McGregor is legitimately great in that role in a way that nobody else in the movie is, right? And so there's something about what he's able to do with his character written by the same mind who wrote Anakin's characters, right? Uh, and, uh, and yet he brings it to life in a way that other people can't. Other talented actors, Natalie Portman's great, right? But there's something so wooden about the script there that her performance doesn't quite overcome for me in the way that uh, that Ewan McGregor's does in that. So yeah, it is
2: um, it is a real interesting puzzle. It, it's interesting you say Ewan McGregor, actually, because going into this chat, this is probably something I probably should have thought of beforehand, but he's actually responsible for another character which, I'm going to start, stop short of saying I identify with, but I definitely connected with, and that's Renton from Train Um Now, the, the reason for that is I, I have a lot of fondness for that film just because um, it, it captures something about how... And bear in mind, I didn't see it until I was kind of a, a, a young teenager. It came out kind of before I would have been able to see it, but from when it was made up until when I watched it, it captures something about that feeling of being Scottish and Scottish society at the time. It's obviously about, you know, it's about, you know, it's about addiction. It follows a group of drug addicts, but there's something about their attitude which really captures a a mood of the nation to a certain extent. And I think when you, when you watch that as kind of a a young person who was kind of making sense of Scotland's place within the UK at the time, so this would have been like pre devolution basically. Um, there's something about that that you really connect with, and the attitudes and stuff that was held there. So, it, 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 Ewan McGregor is an interesting one, but that's a good example of when stuff comes together. Because obviously, you had uh, a very controversial but accomplished Irvin Welsh novel that underpinned that, and then you put a good performance in there as well, and you end up with something very, very memorable.
0: Yeah, I love Transport, and and I'm you know not from the UK, but I that movie's very sentimental. I mean, I probably watched it far too young, but I love that movie it kind of was another one to go back to our previous video but kind of shaped me as a film fan as well Mm -hmm. and i'm i I love most of danny boyle's films so great choice there so i'm often like to you know talk about some of those in, in tv and you know you mentioned kind of like tragic um danny you said that you like some characters that are kind of tragic or you know i mean I, I, there's a lot of anti-heroes in TV, so I guess I could kind of like segue into both of these, but um, yeah, I'll start with the anti-heroes first. Like, I I love Tony Soprano and Walter White, you know, those are two, and there are so many kinds of anti-heroes. Um, there's even like Katie Segal's character, uh, Gemma Teller, if, if you ever watched um, um, that show. Um, and yeah, so there's a lot, but those two in particular, just mainly because I think those are two of my favorite series um, on, a, on a longer list, especially. I think that they are both so amazing and so iconic, but they're obviously not good people. They make a lot of horrible choices and, you know, there's times you want to scream at them. Um, oh, and Benjamin Linus in Lost. I don't know if anyone watched Lost, but he's also... <laughs> No, not so much. No,
2: I, I, I I stuck with Lost up until about season four, I think, and then I I I'm not gonna lie, I did start to slowly drift from it at that point. I enjoyed it while I watched it, but it's just I've never I've never felt the pull back in, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to admit I'm a pretty big lost uh supporter, so I'm always gonna you know fight the good fight for that one. But um but yeah, so The Sopranos and Breaking Bad are two, in my opinion, shows that are kind of are uh, are huge in our just television um, growth, in a sense, like, I mean, as far as what they've done for TV and how monumental they've been. Um, and yeah, so is there any... I,
3: I think, when I think about Tony Soprano, I love The Sopranos too, and um, I feel like he's compelling as a character because his good actions and his bad actions all spring from the same, the same kind of value system, right? So everything he does that's good and things that's bad are all, even though they seem wildly inconsistent, but they're actually consistent in that they come from the same place. So he's a really, I think, well-developed character because I think he's, an, he's a he's something we can look to, he's a, a character that we can look to to kind of talk about the complexity of being human, right? And so uh, because he's very difficult to categorize as either good or bad, um, which I guess is why he's Kind of a template for the anti-hero in that way, but um, but yeah, it's I think because his value system is consistent, and it and it it actually I think there's something unified about all of his actions, good or bad. And I think and part of that is certainly the performance coming together with uh, with the writing there. Um, it's a, an all-time TV performance by James Gandolfini there. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I've watched a fair chunk of the Sopranos. I haven't watched all of it. Um, i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree very uh, not disagree what am i talking about Garbled words i'm going to do agree very strongly with um the Walter white suggestion um just and i also think i also think as as that series progressed I think Walter white was an interesting one in that what you thought of him seemed to say more about you than it did about him (laughs) because you had this very weird situation where particularly in the middle of its run like you'd have these people kind of like just venom like with absolute venom going after the skylar white character his wife um -hmm. you know just making out that she was like the worst thing ever when reality like, really, I think most people in that scenario would behave like Skylar White. I mean, she was the, the like, at that point in the run, she was the one who was not, a, not an absolute megalomaniac, <laughs> ego-driven narcissist. Um, you know, so it, it, I find that an interesting character in the sense that, like, he does gradually become more monstrous over the series run, but it was, you know, it was done by, it, it was done by little shifted increments, right? So you start off with sympathizing with him or at least having empathy with like what he's looking to do and then before you know it you're like oh my god this guy's a monster um and i, I think just I, at what point you cottoned on to that and over that kind of like five season narrative at what point you cottoned on to that i just found i found quite interesting so from that perspective i also think he's quite an interesting character in, in that regard beyond kind of like again and i think the writing team on that how well they've done with Better Call Saul also shows the amount of talent in the writing uh, of that series. But again, that's another one where the writing and the performance come together to just, you know, pitch it perfectly I think.
0: Yeah, and I do think like still root for him even though you know this, you know, you still like want him to change, you want him to and I think a big part of that too is Aaron Paul Jesse's character, like their relationship also kind of softens him a little bit because you know that he does care about him even though he does a lot of horrible things to him but you know that kind of elevates him from beyond that monster too who like it's a very interesting character and it is interesting to see how people perceive him
1: yeah no i agree with um with skyler I've never understood the hate towards her um, but I think with Walter we as he becomes more and more monstrous we do still see the context for his actions we sort of understand where they're coming from but with Skyler we we're never sort of afforded that it she just seems sort of hysterical even though we would most of us would act exactly like she does but yeah she's never given that context for her feelings really
0: okay. Yeah. I think Schauer does get kind of a, a bad rap. I don't I don't understand it either, honestly. She she tries to adapt to a ridiculously, you know, unexpected, wild, you know, set of circumstances and you know, does what she can to to survive that. And I realize I said, um, Gemma Teller, I don't know if anyone watches Sons of Anarchy or ever watched Sons of Anarchy, but uh, Katie Segal is just amazing as uh Gemma Teller. anyone know?
1: Yeah she's great great, in it she's great in it and again I think it's because everything that she does comes from a place that we really understand Um, she's Mm -hmm. a very well-rounded character and I think what really sells her is that she's often she's very unsympathetic but again it's sold off on the performance because the performance is so strong that we want to like her and we want to be on her side so I think that's just a really good example again of a character that you shouldn't like, but you do. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah because I think she has family. That's a big part of her drive, even though she does horrible things.
2: I, I haven't seen um the Sons of Anarchy keeps popping up in my recommendations, and I've still not watched it. It sounds like it sounds like basically I should get around to doing that. But <laughs> in describing what you what you like about that character, I think that also gets to the heart of in the particularly in the case of villains, when you actually connect with one and you find it impressive. And it's when you it's when they have I'm not going to say good motivations because obviously that's ridiculous, but clear motivations because um, yeah. like, there's a lot of there's a lot of like, I find that like the Marvel films, which I have a mixed relationship with, like they, they get a lot of flack for villains, right? There's all this talk about kind of like, the, you know, the Marvel villain problem. I don't oh. really buy it. Right. But um, the, the best ones that they have. Are the ones where you under you you clearly understand their motivations, right? I mean, that's beyond like what we've spoken about in terms of like, you know, if there's a good performance and there's a bit of charisma behind it, like you pretty clearly understand what is going on with Loki in the first Avengers film. You pretty clearly understand what is going on with Thanos in the two most recent Avengers ones. One that I actually have a bit of fondness for, which doesn't seem to get a lot of uh love online, is Daniel Brule's uh Zemo. Right. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's another one where you understand the motivations. They don't necessarily need to be particularly complex ones, but if they're clear and you see what's happening, that's when it it, it just makes it more interesting. And then by that happening it automatically adds a few layers to the performance. And that and, and that's where the where the good writing thinking can, it can have different forms. Right. It can be a nuanced layered character with complex motivations, or it can just be a very clear one, which then adheres to you know that kind of simple line it's when it becomes muddied or you don't really understand what's going on then well i mean why would you connect with a character like that but you know. yeah i
3: actually really like dr strange it's like i know it's like kind of a, a middling uh marvel movie but and i think the villain is again matt smith mickelson right um plays caecilius in that and his motivation is really an extension of taking the the good guys ethos seriously right and so like his uh, devotion to what he has been taught is actually what leads him to the, the the evil actions right um and so i think that is actually kind of interesting and, and i think that in our real actually existing world i mean i think a lot of people uh, pursue evil ends um, out of a devotion to something they perceive as good, right? And so, uh, and I think Kaecilius, and, and again, I think I really like Matt Mickelson, I guess, in everything, uh, now that we're talking about him again, but uh, but I think he's great in that movie. Yeah.
1: True. I think um, a superhero film that did a villain really well was Shazam from DC, because oh, yeah. the whole <laughs> film starts with, um, what's his name? Mark Strong's character, Doctor something.
3: Oh, I, I just remember. rewatched it. I can't remember. It's,
2: it's one no, of those things, because I know that. what you're saying. I, I agree. That's a great yeah. character. I can't remember the name at all. <laughs> no, no, no. I should
1: know. I should know. Um. Anyway, but yeah. But he's allowed a lot more time, because a lot of times, I think this, especially with Marvel, they spend so much time in the film setting up other things and the superheroes and their powers and all those dynamics that there simply isn't enough room for the villains which means that they're just kind of sharp in a third act a massive battle ensues but we have no emotional connection to that character and we don't understand their motivations other than good versus evil but apart from that it doesn't really go any deeper with those villains specifically but again the heroes then we observe them through several films so we make that connection over several hours that we spent through with them so yeah i think that's a huge thing as well
3: dr savannah i just, uh, I just there, we up. there we <laughs> go there we go, I <laughs> go. I, I, I it up. but um, the spider-man homecoming the same thing with michael keaton's vulture right it begins with his story really and 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 i think that makes him uh, one of the more compelling villains in that universe yeah
0: and I, yeah, I think if they, like, believe that you're, they're doing something right or they start off with good intentions, you know, it always makes for a much more layered nuanced character. Um, and, you know, to kind of – and I love Loki. He's, he's, like, one of my favorite, by the way. I just want to – Tom Hiddleston's awesome. But I um, – you know, in, like, Christopher Nolan's Batmans, you know, like, you know their intentions. They're often – they think that they're right. You know, like uh, Ra's Ghul. you know, he, he thinks that he is doing – like the just thing you know what i mean and you know obviously if i'm going to mention that i'm going to mention that you know Heath Ledger's the joker in the second one because he's amazing but um yeah so i think it's interesting when looking at like villains they should have some kind of clear motivation as to why they're doing it but also it's interesting when they think that what they're doing you know is in a sense maybe heroic even
2: though it yeah, it. I did. And Ra- Ra- Ra's Al Ghul is a good example of that. I think, like, for, for my, like I love, I love Heath Ledger's performance in the Dark Knight. Um, but in terms of kind of like the best character as a villain that was created for those films, I I do think that Razal Ghul, played by Liam Neeson, is is mm-hmm. probably probably the best one. Um, which which is probably like a you know it's probably heresy to say say that about that Dark Knight trilogy, but. <laughs> that that's where it comes it. It's, it's when it's when there's like a it's, it's like we said it's when there's a clear motivation and like i think in the in the dark night that that is there but it's more kind of like this agent of anarchy type thing right mm-hmm. that's the that's the the motivation so yeah. it's interesting it works and it gives a brilliant performance but it's maybe like it's less something you could identify with perhaps um yep. whereas raz al ghul that misguided idea is something where you can kind of look at it and go hmm okay you're you're a mass murdering maniac but okay i see where you started with that <laughs> yeah. you know whereas you don't necessarily get that with the joker maybe but, yeah
0: and he's important to bruce wayne's you know trajectory and to yeah. become that man so it's also very integral into the story too yeah so yeah that i i actually i mean <laughs> it's not heresy but I, I actually love all three movies that, that's something i get a lot of uh, heat for is that i actually like bane but i don't put him in the same
2: you know, tears is the
0: other two,
2: I but say, I'd I, say that. I lo- I like that. I like that. I love that. But you know, <laughs> I, <like laughs> I mean, you know, it's not it's not quite on the same level maybe as no. like the Joseph. But yeah, I mean, just I think that 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 fit. Not to spin off into a complete kind of like side <laughs> thing about that trilogy. But I think like that the last film, the Dark Knight Rises, right? It has a lot of issues, but I enjoyed it, and I think it it, it wrapped everything up very nicely. And part of that is. villains and the way they hark back to that first film and series so you know so like again like part of what makes that work is those those villain characters and the way it just all kind of like ties into the narrative and overall motivations of the the people in question yeah
0: yeah Yeah. exactly so also you know with some has anyone watched the leftovers do you ever watch that show no Okay, I won't go into that. <laughs> um, well, it's a good one. But, you know, there's there's also some characters in movies, like some of my, one of my favorite directors is um, Paul Thomas Anderson. And, you know, there's a lot of characters in his movies that aren't necessarily that likable, but they're they're just so stand out. Like, like, I'm going to throw out The Master, even though that's not my favorite yeah. of it. Because I just think that Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix in that movie, both of their performances and their characters are just so <laughs> um like intense and so compelling that you know I have to at least like throw them out. But um yeah, and then everybody obviously in Magnolia and stuff too. But also, you know, Daniel Day Lewis in um There Will Be Blood. Um I don't yeah. know if anyone's seen all those
2: I've I've seen most. I'm I'm disappointed this didn't come to come to me before before you mentioned actually because there will be blood is probably one of my favorite. Not not to be a cliche, right? Because like like every guy my age, like you know, seems to think there will be blood is the best film ever, right? But it is very good, right? Anyway, but um, but Paul Thomas Anderson's films in 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 general, like yeah, there's a lot of very well realized characters there. Again, where like the writing comes together with the the performance. I think Magnolia that you mentioned is one. You've also got Phantom Thread as well. Mm -hmm, um, I think The Master is an interesting one though because it's not it's not my favorite of his Mm -hmm. films. I mean I say that that, I I can't think of any of his I actively dislike right so I mean that's not to say I dislike it. I think it's fantastic but it's an interesting one in that it's not my favorite of his but those two characters um, really do stand out. and I think part of that is because because of what you said, Chris, is the the intensity of the performance from both Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. But that's an interesting one. That like a lot of it, a lot of his characters are not they're not showing for long stretches of the film, and then they'll have these moments where it's just like that that bottled up intensity just comes like you know piling, you know, flowing out. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one that I think.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and Joaquin Phoenix definitely has that, a lot of those moments <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and no, that's not one of my, like, I mean, I, I love all his movies, and that's not my favorite, but those performances, do just stand out. And Daniel Day-Lewis, in general, has probably a lot of characters, Um, you know, I love him in Gangs of New York.
1: Yeah, very yes.
0: fan. But, uh, you know, Bill, he is just, like, iconic in that movie. He is so amazing, and... You you actually do have sympathy for him too, um, even though he's he's the obvious like villain of the movie, and I think that's mainly because of um, the dynamic between him and Leonardo DiCaprio, primarily. Yeah, like, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna get a lot of heat for this. <laughs> I I really dislike Wes Anderson and his films. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can appreciate
2: it. If, if, I, can... if I had sleeves, I'd roll them up right now. Yeah. I'm so
1: sorry. I, can... I, don't... I don't actively hate them, but I can appreciate them and the visuals of it. But I think the way he writes and portrays characters is a very bizarre one. I feel like they're always just one aspect of a character. Um, I think a really good example of a character I can't stand is Gustav from Grand Budapest Hotel, even though it's played brilliantly by Ralph Fiennes. It's a beautiful performance, but I think as a character, it's annoying, so annoying. <laughs> and I know people are gonna hate me so much for this, but I, I had to say it.
3: I think Wes Anderson, I mean, I, I really like his movies. Um, I'm not someone who's gonna, I'm not gonna roll my sleeves up, they're already rolled up. I, I never, yeah. But um, um, I think, you have to almost think of what he's doing as something different than traditional narrative cinema. And I think his characters are not, I think they're purposefully not well developed. I think that they are meant to be set pieces like the rest of the visuals in the movie, right? And so um, that's my only defense of Wes Anderson, <laughs> is that I think he's trying to do something that's, uh, that's very idiosyncratic, um, is what I would say. and so.
2: I mean, that's the thing. Like, I so so you know that whole thing about you know like the worst the, the most anti smoking people are like people who've stopped smoking, right? Yeah. I mm-hmm. to a certain extent, and I don't want to make out like I'm some sort of like Wes Anderson zealot here, right? Not. <laughs> no, no, no. But like I'm basically the equivalent of that for him because the first Wes Anderson film I saw was Fantastic Mr Fox, and I hated it. I hated it with an absolute passion. It was, and I think the only time, and then I watched, uh, I think it was Rushmore and Bottle Rocket after that, and I liked them, but I don't think I really connected with his films until Moonrise Kingdom, right? I think that was the first one where I kind of, you know, because I didn't like, I also didn't like the Royal Ten in Bounds. I could take or leave the Darjeeling Limited. Um, I think Moonrise Kingdom was the first one where I really connected with it, and I think, Danny, you've hit upon something with it there and the, i think they're intent his characters are intentionally slight right they're basically meant to and particularly in the case of moonrise kingdom when you look at kind of like you know the star cross kids like it's not they're not necessarily deep but they're very um easily identified characters and feelings that you can then relate to and you can also see that i think in kind of what is the you know somebody who's who, who in some ways feels like he's played the same character a lot of times the what is a good example of stunt casting in Bruce Willis in that film, right? Because he plays this kind of like this old tired um, police officer, basically, and I, it's sort of like you can feel all the weight of kind of like his previous roles in that, you know, all of the, you know, all these die hard films, all this, all that. Um, so in that case, so that's a, that's an interesting way to go about. Right? characters in a different way it's like rather than having this full rounded thing it's like that stripped down version where it's like an emotion or feeling or something you can identify with i'm not going to defend wes anderson too hard because i I think as we all know he's a very idiosyncratic style right i I don't i don't begrudge you not liking his films i can easily (laughs) easily see how that happens i happen to have kind of like come around and i really like them but it is one of those filmmaking styles, and within that is the idea of the characters, where you either you either find, you either find something that makes you click with it, or you don't. Um, so, so yeah, but no, it's interesting. It's a, it's a different approach to characters. I don't think there's any in his films that are necessarily complex in the way of some of the other ones we've spoken about, but it doesn't necessarily make them any less compelling. Yeah, it's
0: true. It's well put, and I, I love Royal Tenenbaums, and uh, do, <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel. Those two are my favorites of his, and I've been watching him for for a long time. So, I I am I'm I'm on the Wes Anderson, uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. So, I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, speaking of like comedy kind of characters in a sense, um. I love the Coen brothers and I think a lot of their characters have, you know, and many of them are also not very good people or they're doing bad things, but they often have really interesting, compelling characters and very funny, um, sometimes darker than others, you know, but that those are some ones that stand out, you know, like Marge from Fargo or, um, I mean, pretty much everybody in No Country from from at all. Um, Including Javier, Javier Bardem as the villain, he's just like, yeah, come on, and right. yeah, and uh, and then you know you also have like the dude, um, like Bigelowski, which I have my bowling ball right there. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so those are just some of like, other than like Wes Anderson, like kind of quirky humor characters. Those are some other ones, and then there's also some Judd Apatow, I guess, comedic characters that stand out, but. I don't know. I, I love the dark humor. So those are often ones that resonate.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, that Marge Gunderson is a good one, actually, because I it's also a, a reasonably because it's funny, if you if you look at any like because there was an AFI list of like, you know, heroes and villains or something like a, a number of years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it's also it's notable how few on the heroes list were were women, and it's interesting when you then look at the ones that are because Marge Gunderson, I think, I think, I think is one of them, but you know, quite low down. But she fits into that category along with, I think, I would also put um, Ellen Ripley there, mm-hmm. You know, Gordy Weaver's character from the Alien films, whereby they are female heroes, but they are they are also female heroes, like they're not just um, you know like empty roles that have been written then filmed by a, a female actor. There's so there are actually kind of like aspects to that character which are enhanced or are could only come through with a, a a female role. And I think in the case of Marge Gunson, the fact that she she's pregnant throughout the film basically is a key a key part of that. That series also it's got quite a good record for that because Molly, I forget the name, Alison, Alison something, but the TV series, the first series of the TV series, uh, Molly Solverson, that is another character, and it's very much in the Marge Gunderson mold, as you can imagine from that, but it's also another example of a, a female the hero is maybe struck. because like you know, hero you think like capes and stuff, right? But a female protagonist which is really well realized and, and performed. So like I think the, the the influence of that Marge Gunderson character on stuff that came after as well is so important.
0: Yeah. She was very courageous, very um, you know, despite being pregnant and, you know, maybe being out of her, you know, element at times, I guess she's very confident. She just head you know goes right for and she's an amazing character and francis mcdormand always awesome
3: yeah i think the cohen brothers are interesting because i feel like they're a little different than wes anderson but not entirely i think that they have like a central very often i'm not saying i'm sure you can find cases where this isn't true but they have a central really well developed character like marge or like um or like uh uh, just the guy from A Serious Man, if you've ever seen that movie, yeah. right? This really well-developed character who is surrounded by like filmic types, like uh, archetypal, right? That that don't have any depth. They're just sort of images of characters that you've seen in other genre, in, in within the genre that the movie is part of, right? And so it's almost like they put a real human, a real fleshed-out human being, in a kind of uh, thought experiment about genre, um, feel surrounded by archetypes. And so I, I, I love the Coen Brothers. I, I uh, could go on all day about the Coen Brothers, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too, trust me. Yeah, and Michael Filberg and Serious Man's terrific. So is uh, Inside Llewyn Davis, which is one yeah. that I feel kind
3: of gets lost no.
1: a little bit. Yeah.
3: Yeah, totally. You
1: yeah, know, that's probably my favorite Coen Brothers film, because I feel... <laughs> Again, it's it's a film where very little happens, but it feels a very rewarding experience nonetheless. The film, they're like, well, what happens in it? Not much. But it's still, <laughs> it's incredibly, And again, Oscar Isaac is really good. But I feel like Coen Brother films, they've got so much to say about the world that they're portraying and they're very rich sort of worlds. They're not there just to, you know, look pretty, but they also, portray something quite real for me at least. Yeah.
0: And so is I know that um Danny has to go, so is there any anything else? Any characters that we didn't get to? Anything you want to throw out before
3: Could I finishing? throw throw one out? Um I guess it goes to the writing. There's certain characters that are just sort of there's always a moment when someone's going to reinvent this character. And I'm thinking of like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. How many different versions of Sherlock Holmes have we seen that have been made very contemporary in all those moments. Right. And so one of my first, I think I said this on the, the last, video chat we had about the old Basil Rathbone, uh, Sherlock Holmes movies with Nigel Bruce as Watson. Uh, I grew up on those things too, on late night TV, right? And so um, that was very much out of film noir, right? And and that that moment of Hollywood, but he's been made um, postmodern with the the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Sherlock series, right? I particularly think that Andrew Scott's Moriarty is like one of the great TV characters of all time. His take on Moriarty is just fantastic, and he's just his performance is just so unnerving and yet enticing at the same time. I I could just watch his face twitch and and uh, for three hours, right? And um, and so yeah, I think that Sherlock Holmes is a character that allows really great actors uh to do something that's kind of specific to their time um based on this kind of timeless character and so i, I just want to kind of throw that out there as, a, as an example of uh somebody that tv keeps going back to all the time one of my favorite tv series from the 90s was the law and order criminal intent uh with uh, v- vincent d'onofrio um and his bobby goren wh- I, which i found finally reruns on some BTV or something i've been filling up my dvr with old episodes of this um and uh, his bobby goren is basically a, a take on sherlock holmes and uh and uh and olivia diabo was on that series as his moriarty uh kind of foil and so i mean that that's a, a a character that is always contemporary for some reason
2: i mean in terms of in terms of reinvented like characters are constantly reinvented i mean i suppose a key one is james bond really i mean like i mean when you think about like how different those iterations like basically as far as like depending on who's playing james bond i can love or hate the film really mm-hmm. Like I cannot stand Roger Moore. I just, I just I just I just cannot. I hate it. It's so bad, right? I mean, it's just like you know. It's like you take all the all the like slightly worrisome questionable aspects of that character and it's like oh i know what we'll do we'll give it to like an absolutely smarmy asshole like <laughs> no, no no, absolutely not but um yeah you know, and like not not to be biased right but obviously like my preferred one is probably sean connery big surprise <laughs> but um but you know it's just like that character right it basically lives or dies on how good the actor is in the role right but mm-hmm. then also the writing as well because like pierce brosnan started off good and then it just went off a off a cliff edge or you know off an ice cliff parasailing or whatever but um so in terms of like characters that are reinvented like yeah sherlock holmes is one i think james bond would be be another i think we're getting i I think if you come back to it in like 10 years or so like a lot of the superheroes we're seeing right now will be in that category i mean we've already seen like umpty umpty thrumpty batman you know um I think eventually you'll probably get to that stage with others. So like, yeah, you're you're right. They reflect the time in which they're made because obviously like Michael Keaton's Batman is very different to uh, Christian Bale's and both are wildly, wildly different to Adam West's. Um, you know, so that, that, I think when you find those characters it's quite interesting because it's quite interesting to see just how wildly they can vary from iteration to iteration.
1: I think what's also really interesting is how our perception of characters can change over time. I don't think Jim and Danny might agree with me on this, or you might not have a personal experience in this, but a character like that is Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. Because you, you grow up, you're a young woman, you watch it and Carrie's kind of the center of the TV series and it's fun and it's sexy and it's a little bit naughty. And you watch it and you're like, oh my God, you do a Buzzfeed quiz and you want to get Carrie out of that personality quiz. And then ten years later, you realise that she's a terrible, a terrible character and a terrible human being. Really? Yeah, I, I, um,
2: I've, I've watched altogether more of that show than I think people would expect me to. <laughs> oh yes. So,
1: <laughs> so are you a carrier or are you a Miranda?
2: I don't, I don't know. I've got, I've got it because it was so many years ago now. I've got a parcel, all, but I'm not a carry. I don't think that. That's. <laughs> that's but uh, I went through this recently. Like I went to see, um, like in terms of, like again, the kind of like the reinterpretation of of literary characters. I went through this kind of like, which one are you? When I went to see Greta Gerwig's Little Woman recently. Yeah. And that, that was an interesting one, because like, especially as a Brit, like, you know, like, like people know of Little Women, the book here, but it's not, it doesn't hold the same kind of like, you know, cultural status it does in the States. And of course, it's always like, you know, which one of the, you know, which one of the, the March sisters are you? And I find it interesting afterwards to find out that there was this real kind of like hatred for Amy, um, you know, it was played by Florence Pugh in that version of the, the film, because I looked at that and I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, she's a bit bratty at points, but like, you know, you kind of understand where, where a lot of it's coming from. I think she was portrayed quite sympathetically, so it was just interesting to find out that, like, on the basis of reading the book and watching previous adaptations that character comes out as the one that like nobody wants to be associated with. <laughs> um, so in that in in that case of like reinterpreting characters. Mm-hmm. that that would be another like an, another one in terms of like you know which one you identify with it can change wildly again depending on the the iteration that you've ended up watching
3: yeah. well and, and maria makes a great point i think that that's one of the great things about art in general right is you, if I read a book or watch a movie when I'm twenty and read it again when I'm thirty, I'm an entirely different person, right? And so it's a way for you to kind of judge your own growth as a human being on how you kind of uh re-engage with these artworks. And no. it doesn't make Sex in the City any less of a good series. Uh maybe it does, I don't know. I actually I didn't watch that, but um but uh but your kind of relationship to it has changed and I think that's uh I think that's what's beautiful about it, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I loved the 90s Little Women. Um, and then, you know, I, I was like, owner rider all the way. I'm Joe. Um, and I just wonder if any woman, watch, girl watching it wants to be anyone but Joe. But, you know, no. I don't know. <laughs> um, as far as, like, what character do you want to be? I mean, I love them all for different reasons. And Amy, you know, that's just kind of her character. It's the same thing with Kirsten Dunstan. Um, I'm. I'm trying to think of the woman that plays her when she's older and the other one, but, you know, and and same with uh, Florence, you know, the character has like a growth, you know, and so I don't know why she would get like people would dislike her. But I mean, that's what's amazing about that story is that they're all very different. um, And they kind of represent different, uh, I don't know, like, faces of uh, female um, journey and mind and everything. So I think it's, it's an interesting conversation or consideration. But yeah, that's just me because I always wanted to be Joe.
2: Yeah I th- I think when when I was talking about it before we eventually the, the the whole like it represents different aspects I think the the preferred method seemed to be to dec- declare yourself a percentage of each Marxist or <laughs> right you know like I'm 40% Joe I'm 20% in like that that seemed that seemed to be the the preferred method in the end rather than a, an all or nothing scenario yeah
0: no that's probably <laughs> the safest bet to do
3: and can I just say I embarrassed myself in the theater watching that movie because I actually like openly wept like sobbed out loud mm-hmm. <laughs> like at one moment in the movie or I've had to cover my mouth because it was like kind of like I yeah, it was a really, really big cry. So yeah. No shame. The yeah. film lover,
0: <laughs> I get scared of it. <laughs> or like if I hear a score of a film I love, I get a little choked up. So no judgment. Yeah. Um so yeah, this this was a lot of fun. I uh, I think we had some really good conversations going. We talked about a lot of different characters. And the thing is, we could probably do this for like hours more and still not even scratch the surface on that. Because just yeah. there's just so many and there's so many different types. And yeah, so much that goes into it. Like we discussed the writing, the acting, just, yeah. So yeah, so with that, um, that's the end of the Film Inquiry Roundtable 2. Thank you again everybody for joining. I love meeting and seeing everybody and I hope everyone that watches this enjoys it and will share their own favorite characters and I hope everyone's doing well and keeping safe and I know that these times are just unprecedented and crazy so it's great to be able to have these fun interactive you know, moments of appreciation for film and TV. So thank you very much again.
2: Thank you. Thank
3: you.